What is up, guys? Thank you all for checking out this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. I am your host, EJ Stewart. This is a somber day for me to be recording this podcast because, of course, my Gonzaga Bulldogs came one win short of completing their undefeated bid, being annihilated by Baylor in the National Championship game on Monday night. So you'll get our reaction to that game and the fallout um, in just a few moments. We'll also be talking about a big hiring in college basketball. We talked about Roy Williams stepping down last week. He has been replaced. And uh, we'll give you guys our thoughts on, on that hiring and, and where uh, Carolina goes from here. Also, a major trade in the NFL. And again, it involves one of the teams that I follow and root for very closely, the New York Jets, trading Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers. We'll give you guys the details on that. And MLB season is underway. So we'll give you guys some World Series predictions at the end of the show. So it should be uh, a really good, fun conversation to have. Not fun in the beginning for me, but fun <laughs> for the rest of the show. Joining me is my co-host, Kendall Stewart. Uh, Kendall, you watched that game last night, or a couple of nights ago, as did I. Um, were you surprised by just the domination that we saw from Baylor on Monday? Um, surprised? A little bit. You know, I don't think I expected a game that was so one-sided. Um, only because we haven't seen Gonzaga play from behind like that all season. Um, yeah, I knew this would be tough. I knew this. Would, I thought it would be nip and tuck. Um, I really didn't have a clear-cut prediction on it. You know, it was one of those things where it's like you really can go both ways. Um, that's how I truly felt going into the game. And... That was a game where it looked like they barely played Gonzaga ten times. They win seven, you know, mm-hmm. like they win seven or eight times. They just looked like the better team, or at least in that matchup, you know, that kind of matchup uh, is not a good matchup for Gonzaga. Um, so yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise. I would, I would have to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, I would say that it, it's kind of weird because when I say it was, it was a surprise, when I think about it from my standpoint, I mean, it, it, like, look, I watched this team play. You know, I don't know how many games, like 31 games. I probably watched 15 of them, maybe more, 20. So I watched this team play all season. It, it, I never would have anticipated them playing that poorly. So I guess that was a surprise. But what I will say is I feel like going into the game, if, if you kind of started to kind of handicap what were kind of the, the pitfalls for this matchup for Gonzaga and how would they imp- how would it impact the game, I mean, I feel like everything kind of came to fruition. What I saw on Monday was kind of like my worst nightmare. Um, it was just one of those things where you watched the matchup, you saw what Baylor's capable of. And you said, these are the, you know, this is a team, obviously undefeated, dominant season, dominant team throughout the year, but obviously not a perfect team. These were the little things that you saw throughout the year that I thought, okay, if this team plays this kind of team, they might have a little trouble. That's why I, every time I talked about Gonzaga all season, I always use the same caveat. Kendall knows it. I said, te- I texted him, Right after the first game of the season against Kansas, I said, nobody is seeing these zags with the exception of Baylor. Because Baylor has dynamic guard play that matches or even exceeds the zags guards as a collective. And they have a physically imposing presence on the defensive end. I think at times they haven't always played with their antennas that high on the defensive end as a unit, like we saw Monday night. But I don't think what they did was outside of their potential. Like, to me, they're a great defensive team. They have great defensive players. 
and the game was as big as it was, and they came out and they just played lights out on that end. I think maybe if there was anything that was surprising to me, I think Baylor's guards. I just, I mean, I know we know they can shoot. We know that we know they're highly talented, but I just think their shot making to start the game being so on point, I think just really kind of buried the Zags and didn't really give them much of a chance to really get their footing in the game when that when they were struggling offensively. Because if you think about the you know Baylor getting out to 15, 16, 18 point lead. Once they got to that point, I mean, they, they, the teams pretty much played even the rest of the game. Um, but it was that it was that flurry to start the game where it just it just looked like Butler and Mitchell and Teague and these guys just they just couldn't miss. And look, they're a team that's the best three point shooting team in the country. They they're known for their shot making on the perimeter, but I just think it their, their shot making being that potent, I don't think people expected. I don't think anybody could have expected. So I think that you know defensively, I don't think that there was that much of a surprise. I knew this is the kind of team that can give the Zags trouble because they're so physical in the paint. So even though they were fouling the hell out of the Zags, the big men, they all were in foul trouble. That fit, like, like I told, I texted you or I called when we talked on during halftime, you know, Scott Drew was going to trade those fouls for imposing their will defensively. Um, that's a trade-off he'll do 100 times in a row, and that's what they did. So so, so when, they, when, when we got that, I just think it, it just... It just changed the whole dynamic of the game. And the Zags couldn't get settled. But offensively, I just thought Teague and Mitchell and Butler being so lights out offensively. And the Zags' complete inability to guard them. was That was probably the most shocking thing of the game. I, I knew guarding them would be hard, but I didn't think that they'd have no chance. And they had no chance guarding them. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were so comfortable. Um, you know, I know, you know, the switching, uh, wasn't great probably for Gonzaga defensively, but, you know, I think Mark Few realized that, you know, if we, if we double off these pick and rolls, um, Butler and Mitchell were so good at finding the open man and the open man was Was going to be every time. You know, Adam Flagler, Mayfield Teague, it was going to be somebody who's going to make that shot. Um, And so, you know, that was the uh, that was the kind of the chess match that I think Mark was trying to play defensively. He went into the zone that 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 threw him off a little bit. But eventually, even then, those same guys were hitting jump shots. Yeah. Um, You know, so it was really I mean, the only way Gonzaga is beating that Baylor team is if they don't shoot well, you know, and they shot. They weren't missing shots, you know. They, they so they couldn't get stops, and and then on the other side, Gonzaga's best shooters weren't making shots. Um, so that was that was tough. Um, the foul trouble helped them a little bit, but yeah, I mean, it, this is a matchup that you know it was a poor matchup for Gonzaga, um, you know, and I think that you see that a lot in college basketball, where sometimes, you know. It, is Gonzaga the best team in the country? You know, they're definitely top two. But, you know, and I think there's, there's a chance that, you know, if certain matchups would have fell a different way, maybe Baylor doesn't get to the Final Four or you get to the National Championship, and then Gonzaga wins it. You know, there aren't many teams in the country that they can beat Gonzaga, but Baylor is one of them. Um, so that 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 just didn't uh, didn't fall in Gonzaga's way, and that's that's the, you know, 
that's kind of the luck of the draw of this tournament. But um, it, it's, I'm glad that we got the two best teams. I'm seemingly glad we got that too. In the national championship, there isn't any. I mean, you know, like when obviously you had the Kentucky losing to Wisconsin in the Final Four, and Wisconsin losing to Duke, and that was a that was a uh, in 2015. That was kind of a yeah. Uh, an odd one because we all knew Kentucky was the best team. Still looking back, Kentucky was probably better than that Duke team, but we never even got a chance to see them play for the national championship. So, um, like, I, like when Kansas beat Memphis, that felt like that was, those were probably the two best teams. You know, North Carolina was really good that year. Georgetown was really good. Um, UCLA was really good, but uh, yeah, I even saw someone make an argument that like this was like the most definitive one versus two matchup since. Illinois and Carolina in like oh four oh five whatever that yeah, was yeah five yeah you know um and I would anyway especially where you had a wire to wire one and two pretty much like Baylor and Zach, I know Baylor lost a couple of games maybe they slipped in the, in the rankings towards the end but I mean there was no doubt I think in anybody's mind that these were the two top teams all season so like and that was similar the case similarly the case in oh five. Um, Carolina yeah. was number one start of the year. I think Illinois may have been like five or six, but they quickly rose to number two and then eventually number one. And then like they were, it was one and two with those two teams all year, pretty much for like majority of the season. This this year, you know, it started out these teams were one and two, and that's where it ended. But the, the order flipped, obviously by the end with Baylor coming out on top. Um, I mean, you know what? I think we got to give a massive shout out, man, to Scott Drew. You know, like the Scott Drew is a guy that a lot of people. Have never really given his due because I think they've we I think a lot of people have felt like his teams underachieved in the in the postseason. I think that some people question his in game coaching, and I mean we can't say anything about any of those things anymore. I mean his team went all the way and won a national championship. And what uh, Jay Bill actually made an interesting point that in recent years I mean Baylor's lost to the eventual national champion like a lot. <laughs> Which yeah. is shocking to me. I didn't realize that. But when you go back through the years, like they've lost to like three of the last however many national champions on during their paths to through the tournament. So this has been a, a great program, and you know, similarly to Gonzaga in a sense, uh, not necessarily a one and done factory. You know, they've gotten good guys here and there, but a lot of Scott Drew's program has been about getting guys in there who are you know well recruited and, and very good players, clearly. But guys that he's developed two, three, four years down the line. I, I told you after the game, kind of. I, I mean, I remember when Gonzaga played Baylor two years ago in the in the tournament. Gonzaga was a number one seed. Rui Hachimura was a star of the team. That's when they had. They still had Josh Perkins. They had a squad. Um, they got upset in the Elite Eight eventually by uh, Texas Tech and went up going to the national championship game. But uh, I mean, Gonzaga played Baylor in the second round and they beat the hell out of Baylor. I don't know what the final score was, but they beat them by at least twenty points. And it wasn't competitive, and it wasn't close. And some of these guys that I watched on Baylor t- yesterday, a couple days ago, were on that team. And I was laughing. I was like, man, these guys had no chance. And I'm looking at Vital. He didn't even look like a, he didn't even look like a basketball player at that point yeah. in his career. And you see these guys play against, obviously, a much different Gonzaga team because Gonzaga now has become a program where there's a lot of turnover. But still, you see a lot of those same kids play against those Zags and just take it to them the way they did. That's that's player development. That's training. Um, um, that's everything that goes into building a program. And you know Scott Drew taking that program literally from the ashes uh, is one of the the most uh, effective 
rebuilds we've ever seen in college basketball. I mean, this is a program that literally had, you know, players murdering other people um, as, yeah. a, as what what kind of ended their program. You know, they were at rock bottom with basically no Division One players at one point. And he took that job. A lot of people thought he was crazy to take the job. He took that job. And how many years later, 15 years later, 10 years later, whatever it is, now he's a national champion head and, coach. Man, you know I mean, if you want to talk about, like you said, a, a kind of a brand kind of shift from a coach. I mean, let me take you back, EJ, to, to an article that was written in April of 2009. April 3rd, 2009, you know, almost a year, almost 11 years ago um, to, the, to, the, to the day. But um, this article was written, this was, a, this, was a, this was an article right after John Calipari had left Memphis to go to Kentucky. Um, the, and Scott Drew had become the, he was seen as the, uh, the likely successor to John Calipari at Memphis. Mm-hmm. And the title of the article was, Scott Drew's peers shocked Memphis would consider Baylor head coach. Mm-hmm. And in the article, some of the quotes said a division one head coach paused at this and said, do they know Scott Drew? Mm. Uh, a national television commentator said, what? An, AC, an, an SEC assistant coach said, wow. And um, in the article, the guy, uh, the, the author, Jeff Calkin, says that Drew was described as, one, a phony, two, mm. a man who has never met a recruiting rule he couldn't bend, mm. three, a lousy bench coach, and four, what really more do you need is what what they what they broke down. Jeff Goodman at the time said that hiring Scott Drew would be a mistake. Rick Barnes publicly criticized Drew's recruiting tactics. At this point, this is when Baylor hired John Wall's assistant uh, AU coach mm-hmm. to be an assistant, and they were kind of you know they were seen as yeah, a shady. Baylor, Baylor was was engaged in shady activity. Is no yeah, other way to put it. it, it that was certainly the perception, you know. Say what you want. Obviously, you couldn't prove anything. He's never had. Yeah, we don't know anything. We don't know anything illegal. That's why I'm not yeah. saying it's illegal, but it was. Um, it seemed. It was the impression was it was shady. And you know, and and look, throughout there was a t- period of time, even after that, Memphis. Obviously, that article is well known to have scared off the administration of Memphis. Right. And they moved to Josh Pastner. We all know how that went out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows if Scott Drew would win any better? But I know he's he's a better he's a better basketball coach. So um, probably. Regardless, even in the years after that, you know he's had teams that aren't like the team he has now. Mm-hmm. You know when he was building around Perry Jones, building around Quincy Miller. You know these guys, one and done types of players. Um, this team. Is not that. No, there's they're no old, one. They're old. They're old. They're old team. They're an old team. No egos. They they play hard. They got transfers. They got veterans. They got guys who were under recruited. And he just got them to gel. I mean, turning Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell into first round NBA point guards, that wasn't supposed to happen. Turn no. turning Mark Vital from a guy who was just an athlete coming out of high school. To a guy who, like you said, now is a basketball player, and is a contributor on a national championship team, that wasn't supposed to happen. Like he's he's ta- taking guys and turn guys that weren't five stars, which wasn't his model a decade ago, 
<laughs> you know, now yeah. he and again, lousy bench coach. That's what one of these. That's what one of the sources said in this article that you can't say that about Scott Drew. I mean, no we way. used to joke about Scott Drew five, six years ago. Said he was a mini Cal Perry. Like yeah. you know, he would get players, but he would always kind of yeah, underperform. Yeah, underachieve exactly. Yeah, he would underachieve. Like the offense never seemed to always be there. Yeah, they were playing that dopey zone. Yeah, they were but, playing yeah. a zone, but they were always getting burned. Like it was, it, it it never. You can't say any of that about Scott Drew. Now. No, like clearly he's among the elite in college basketball when it comes to coaching. He's a top ten coach in college basketball. Um. And he, he did an excellent job with a team that was, yes, very talented, but also unheralded. So he deserves a lot of credit. And like you said, player development, man. You know, like, like the stuff that Mitchell and Butler were doing, like, you know, I mean, Davion Mitchell, first of all, he wasn't doing that stuff at Auburn. But second no. of all, like, you know, they, you couldn't tell that those guys weren't, you know, the level of high school player that Jalen Suggs was. You couldn't tell. Yeah. You know, because those guys, if you I mean if you ask somebody who's never watched a game, you'd be like, Oh, those two guys are clearly the best players on the court. Maybe best three if you count the way Macy OT played. And that that that's uh that's a credit to Scott Drew, it's a credit to Jerome Tang, it's a credit to the entire staff, um, and the entire roster. Yeah, I mean, they played Gonzaga two years ago. Gonzaga won. They won by 12, but Gonzaga was up by as much as uh, 20 points. Um, Jared Butler shot 4 for 13 in that game. Mark Vidal. Actually, had a good game. I know I was clowning him, but he had 17 points. Uh, but they got they got manhandled. And, uh, you know, Brandon Clark, NBA player, had, you know, 36 points. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it, it was a different class. It felt like when those two teams played against each other. So to see that transformation two years later, and to see what they were able to, to the performance they were able to put on again, all do all the credit due to Baylor. Um, in terms of the Zags, man, it's a tough it's a tough beat, man, because there's just so much that goes into uh, this program and what they were trying to accomplish. You know, going undefeated, only team since Indiana uh, in the '70s to do it. We've seen so many teams come so close. You mentioned Kentucky. It's, of course, the Indiana State team, um, UNLV. There's a lot of schools that have – not a lot, but there are a handful of schools that have gotten this close and, and come up just short. And for Mark Few, you know, it kinda, you kind of look at this program and you just look and say everything is great except for not winning the chip. And it's – I feel terrible because, I'm one, I'm a Gonzaga fan. But I feel terrible for the program. I feel terrible for Few because I feel like – this, you know, Few is a Hall of Fame coach. He's one of the best coaches in college basketball. Um, everything seemed to gear up for this to be the year. You have, you know, two first class, first team All Americans, a second team All American. Uh, basically, almost your whole, your whole starting line is basically the All Conference for your conference. Your team is loaded with studs. It just did, wasn't supposed to end this way. But I think uh, at the end of the day, they just. They, they just ran into a team that was just way too physical um, and, and way too athletic. And then their guards were just too skilled on the perimeter. It was just a bad matchup all around. And it's unfortunate. Uh, they'll break through because 
in college basketball, like like it's kind of the same thing in college football. Like it's rare. Like, you don't have these coaches that are these great coaches that never won a championship. I I was just gonna say like there is no Mark Few. There is no no there is none. I'm trying like, to think like who's the who's the guy that's like you know an icon type of coach that like just couldn't you never, never win it. Never won that. They don't really yeah. exist. Did Frank Beamer ever get one? And I know he got like a partial one, but I don't think he oh, ever. College won. football. Yeah. Uh, Beamer, I don't think has one. No, he would probably. I, mean, I guess he'd be the closest. But I don't never but, like. To me, Beamer is not Mark. Beamer is not Mark Few to me. No, exactly. But it's 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 just rare. But it's, yeah, it's not. It's it's rare. It's just, it, I mean, Few really is starting to become you know kind of a party of one. Boise State, but he just he didn't want to he didn't want to stay there. You know. Right, but he's kind of a party of one. When you think of this, like you know. Again, this like iconic coach that hasn't won a championship. He's all alone. <laughs> it sucks because it feels like anybody who talks to him say this is a great guy. It's like all the people to be in this position. It kind of sucks to be him. But um, that's where he's at. It is what it is. The Zags will be back. They got uh, some studs coming in next year. We'll see what happens with Chad Holmgren. We'll see what happens with Walker Kessler. Who we'll talk about. Maybe a little bit in the second next segment with with the hiring of Hubert Davis, but um, but this is now the, the blemish now that continues is uh, Gonzaga. They put up these wins. They're number one seeds, uh, conference championships basically every year, obviously because of the West Coast Conference being not necessarily up to snuff with the rest of the conferences. All the numbers and all the stuff is, are there for for Mark, but that's just the last thing that that's that's holding them back, and. You get to a point now, you almost wonder, like, it's going to happen in a year where you don't expect it, almost. It's like, it's going to be a year where people think the Zags are a little down, and they'll go on a crazy run, and they'll win it all. Because there's been a couple of years now where we kind of looked at them and said, this is the year for sure. And this one just seemed like definitely the year. But, you know, they that's a team that sometimes has had some bad luck. And to me, they had, the luck they had was, the te- like, in a year where you, it's very rare in the tournament, we get the obvious number one, two teams making it through. The second team all year that we I knew could give them problems made it all the way to the final, and that's the team that could see them. The only team I said that I thought that could see them, and they saw them all right, and they walloped them on Monday. Yeah, I mean, and look, it's a hard thing because typically there are there isn't that monkey in your back as a college basketball program. They're in that feeling of a monkey on your back because. Either you have the, the college basketball and college sports in general, a lot of it's the haves and the have-nots. There isn't really this, like, you know, Gonzaga's kind of in a middle zone where it's like, you know, they're not, you know, like, they're, they're, they're a, a legitimate championship contender that's never a perennial championship contender um, that hasn't won one. So they got to end with the same coach who hasn't won one um, and this entire time. And so... And they've done everything else. Like, you know, we've had coaches. I mean, Scott Drew. This was a big year because they had one. You know, this is their. It was kind of their. It's kind of their window to win a national championship. But it, the monkey on the back wasn't the same. Yeah. You know, because, like, you. It, this kind of. It was kind of a fluky thing for Baylor. Anyway, it was not fluky in terms of like you know they were a real team, but like you know. This this is the best they've been <laughs> since God has, has gotten there, even though they've been very good in the past. But um, but like Gonzaga, like this is now the the fourth or fifth time that they've had a team that could have won the national championship and didn't. And again, next year they have another team. Like 
you know, when Memphis won it or didn't win it, I should say, um, it was a, it was unfortunate, but you kind of you, you knew all right, you know, this is this is gonna be the last one, you know, or <laughs> it's gonna be one of the last chances, you know, especially yeah. when Kyle Perry left. And now you don't think about it. And then if you're a team like Kentucky that doesn't win it, it's like, oh, well, we got, what, seven, six or seven? Right. Louisville doesn't care. We got a couple. You know, but Gonzaga is that monkey on the back. Yeah, you're trying to get that first. And you feel like with the Zags, like, it, you know, like, I, like I've said on this podcast, I mean, they're like a new age blue blood. But how are you a blue blood if you don't have a chip? That's the, it's like, it's the only, it's the, right. it's the, it's the last because that, no, it's gonna. It happens every time they lose. They literally lose one game all year. But the questions and the and the same tired ass uh, uh, commentary happens. Oh, you're playing a weak conference. Well, were you ever really that good? And your only way you'll ever shut up that commentary for good is to win the chip. It sucks that the NCAA tournament is a six game elimination single elimination kind of deal and that's how you got to prove it but that's just how it is and the only way they could ever stop that that commentary is by winning it all and when you don't despite everything they've established to 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 prove that they are as great as great as any other program there is right now not having the chip is just a missing piece and it continues to allow for the detractors to 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 do what they do every year which is to doubt them regardless of what they accomplish I mean, it, the commentary last night, it was, like, predictable, but it was just, like, you didn't, I don't even know what to say about it. I'm like, they lost one game all year. <laughs> and it wasn't like they played Sisters of the Poor in the non-conference. They played a lot of talented teams in the non-conference and beat the hell out of all of them. Then they played Power 5 teams in the tournament <laughs> to get to the Final yeah. Four. Like, they, they had to get to the National Championship game. So they beat all those other teams all of them, they be handily, except for UCLA in that classic, one of the best uh, Final Four games we've ever seen, maybe the best Final Four game we've ever seen, um, to win. So you'd think that they would still have the respect, and they just don't. Yeah, and yeah I think you hit the nail on the head. It is what uh, it is. Because I, I guess essentially what what I was saying is that, like, you have you have these programs that, you know, don't worry about winning an after championship because they've already got it. Or te- these programs that don't worry about winning a national championship because they don't expect to win national championships. Right. Like, you know, again, like like a school like Baylor or a school like Virginia, they've got one now. But, like, had they not won it those years, they would have said, all right, well, we're Virginia. Like, we don't expect yeah. to win it. We, we've been Whatever. really competitive for all these years. You know, we're, we're, happy with, we're happy with just being in the yeah, tournament. I mean, it, it, like, uh, Ben is never going to get – he was never going to get fired as long as they kept <laughs> Not at all. Went, making number one seeds and winning the conference. Like, winning a championship, it's like, okay, that's not the kind of thing you're looking at at Virginia. They were disappointments, yeah. but that's not what they were about. Yeah, but like you said, like, you got you to gotta win one. You know, like Gonzaga, again, considering – Gonzaga, is, they're striving for something different. And there's, there's a there's a different level of respect that they that they're searching yeah. for as a program and they've, as institution. They've, they've competed at that level and at, at at every they've competed on that on that stage at every level except right. winning a national championship. That's it. Just that That's one game that. they have not able to win. They've gotten there now twice. Yep. It's it's like a it's like a sometimes it feels like you root for this team. Sometimes it feels like a like a Shakespearean tragedy. It's just like is it ever going to work out? Like is this the is this just how it's gonna be? Where, because you know, like we talk about it on undefeated. Uh, excuse me, the uh, 
the uncommitted all the time. Like, you know, you know, coaches and programs usually like have their moments. They have their runs. And we're clearly in that, to me, the era of Gonzaga. But it's so bizarre because Gonzaga can't win a championship in this era. Like, they had two dominant seasons that didn't end. Well, really, I'd say three dominant seasons that did not end in national championships. Two years in which they were the number one overall seed. Both years they went to national championship. They did go to the national championship game, but they didn't win a national championship. Last year was a dominant season. Really, they had four. Because last year they had a dominant season. Didn't play any tournament games. Nobody did. So, yeah. I mean, they. I mean, I could look up the, the records the last few years. But, I mean, they've just been as dominant as it comes right now. I mean, this is the last. Kendall, this is their last four seasons. 31-1. 31 and 2, 33 and 4, 32 and 5, 37 and 2. They then had a down year before that was 28 and 8. Still pretty damn good. And before that, 35 and 3. Like if you if you could have if you would have took like wiped away like their name, and you told me that was Kentucky or Duke in like Cal Perry's era or K's top era, I'm like, yeah, that looks about right. Like yep. that's the kind of numbers they've been putting up. It's just not with the chip at the end. And that, at the end of the day, unfortunately, is really all that matters. Where does, where does this rank? Well, first of all, I want to know, what's your top three worst losses as a sports fan? And where is, is it, does this make the top three? Does this make the top three? Individual games. Uh... I don't think I don't I don't think this does because I just think that the domination was so profound. It just was it was super (laughs) disappointing, but it just it just was what it was. It was just like this is this I mean when it did not exist, it seemed. Um so I don't think this is top three, though it's it's bad. It's almost certainly top five or top six or seven. Uh I don't know what's number one or two or three. I don't know what the order is. I do know I do know the Mets losing to the NLCS on a Beltran strikeout is in the top three. I also know um, that Knicks Nets game last night, right? No, <laughs> frustrating <laughs> as heck, but no. Uh, Julius Randle's son <laughs> was he crying. Right, number one for him. Yeah, I know. I seen that he was he was devastated. I I, I understand that. Um, Top three. It's kind of tough on the spot because I, I I know it's funny. Cause that's a question I always ask a lot of people in terms of like your top three loss. I mean, I know the Mets lost in the two thousand and eight. I want to say NLCS. Uh, that was that was because because uh, I, I was convinced they were winning a World Series. And Any of those Jet uh, Conference Championship games? I think maybe the second one was probably the one that hurt the most because that was probably the other one where I was convinced that the Jets were, were going to win the Super Bowl that year. Yeah, um, that's probably in there. It's like the Knicks. It's like a weird because like there's just a million losses. <laughs> it's like <laughs> pick one, but um, but I don't know. I don't know if there's like one loss. I feel like the worst losses in franchise history came a little before I was like aware. Like to me, like the worst Nick loss I could think of. This like the two worst losses I've experienced as a Nick fan were losing to Indiana in. 2012, whatever the year it was, um, losing game six, Melgan blocked by Hibbert, and because because the way they played the Heat, maybe I'm maybe I'm a nuts Knicks fan, but the way they played the Heat that year, 
I really thought that was going to be a series. Um, these were playing so well, and they just played against a team that they could not handle the Pacers all year, and then the Pacers did what they did to them in that series. And then the second one being, you know, losing the championship to the Spurs, game five, you know, Avery, Avery Johnson with that crooked jump shot, you know, <laughs> sending them home. That one was a little weird because, like, in, same, in a sense, it felt kind of a little bit like Gonzaga because, like, the Spurs were so much better. But it's the NBA Finals. Like, you just, you just, you're rooting no matter what. You just want to fight to the end. And the Knicks looked like they were going to win and keep the series going and at least send it back to San Antonio, and they didn't even get that. So um, that's probably that's probably the three, I would say. Um, well, honestly, I, honestly, though, if I had to do my third, my third might actually be Gonzaga versus Carolina. Carolina that's probably right, the third one. Yeah, that's probably the third one. That was... That was yes, now that I've sat now that I've sat on this one more. That one was 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 more devastating because you could like it. It was kind of the opposite of this game because it was like you couldn't have asked for more in terms of an effort standpoint. And not to say the kids didn't play hard last night, but they just the the energy needed to win the game wasn't there clearly for whatever reason. The energy, I mean, they played as hard as hell. They played a physical game against Carolina. The, the, the skill wasn't necessarily there. They didn't shoot the ball well. Karnowski missed a bunch of layups. Like, but the, the, the fight, the fight was a championship caliber fight. And to see them come up that short, like, and when you thought, again, you're trying to grab that respect, that was, that's probably my top three. I'd probably go uh, freaking Yadier Molina. And then, you know, Adam Wainwright in the strikeout. Uh, I do um, Jets in Pittsburgh uh, going down 24 nothing in the first quarter, I think, of that game. Maybe it was the first quarter, first half. But then fighting their way back and almost having a chance to steal it. And then I would uh, flip that all around and I'd say Gonzaga uh, 20, 20, uh, 20, was that 2016 against Carolina. Uh, my, my, my three, real quick, are probably. The Memphis loss is obvious. Memphis, Kansas. Oh, but you know what? One more quick thing, though. Uh, uh, honorable mention, and man, this is a tough one. I can make a case this is also in that top three. But 100% is the 2002 Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> oh, I forgot about I that. I mean, that, that <laughs> one is definitely... I mean, to me, I almost got to do a top four. Like, I can't not exclude that. Right, if it's Mount Rushmore. Because that was robbery. Like, I've never had that happen before, and I haven't had it since, where I felt like my team was legitimately robbed of a championship. And that loss, as you guys can hear in my voice, like I, it sticks with me because I feel like it altered the history, the, the future of college football. If Miami wins that championship, they're still the U today. I, like, I'm convinced. Back-to-back undefeated national championships, like, they would have done that. This program, I know they, they've still been through a lot of stuff, but they would still be an elite program. Like, that look loss. At, look at that, that, and, and, and I don't know if Ohio State is Ohio State if they win that game, if they don't win that game. I think that I that think completely Michigan. altered college football. Yeah, that's, that's funny. On that's a, a ridiculous call, by the way. Funny you mention that. Ridiculous. Um, yeah, for me, yeah, definitely the Memphis-Kansas game. I have that similar kind of what-if. Memphis, Mari Tomari visits that shot. <laughs> Memphis yeah. actually has a national championship similar to you, and maybe Kyle Perry doesn't leave. Maybe John Walls goes to Memphis, Boogie, um, you know, and then from there, who knows? But 
I have to easily and another easy one for me is like the Celtics Cavs game seven in twenty eighteen. Um I was so convinced. That that one was it was it was sad, but it was also just I I don't think I've ever been more stunned at a loss as a sports fan. Like I don't like there was no way like that just like broke everything in terms of like every like basketball kind of like rule and thing that I knew about basketball. I was like, there's no way that we're going to lose this game. No, we're going to lose the series. Like, I, I knew that like after like game four or whatever it was, we were up. Um, I was like, yeah, we're going to win the series. And then when it got to game seven, I was like, all right, in Boston, we're going to win. And Tatum plays great. And we still find a way to lose that game because Rogier and Brown can't hit the ocean standing, can't hit the, the ocean standing on the beach. Mm. But um, so yeah, that was another bad one. Um, and three, I this is this is gonna be another random one, another one that's not a uh, that's not like a championship game because my teams, ironically enough, don't make it to the championship game a lot unless you're the Giants. But um, I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings wild card round. I don't remember what year, it might have been 2016, 2017, against the Seattle Seahawks. Blair Walsh. Uh, oh gosh. <laughs> going to oh, drive. Man. Looks like the game's over. Teddy Bridgewater leads them on a drive down the field. Um, has a chance to win his first playoff game. And <laughs> Blair Walsh shanks a 20-yard field goal. Couldn't could have missed it more, more I mean, than Blair Walsh missed I mean, that. I hate to use the word choking in sports because these are elite athletes trying to accomplish very difficult things. But that's almost the only way to describe that. Like that was a PAT basically to win yeah. the game, and I don't even think he hit. I don't even think he hit the net. Oh no! Like, he kicked <laughs> it. kicked it in the crowd. Like it was just. An and the funniest catch. thing about that was like anybody that knew anything about Blair Walsh in his career knew that was possible. <laughs> yeah, you, you yeah. Was like I, I was like, oh damn it, man! There's no way this guy <laughs> he, can't, yeah. he can't really miss this one, man. Yeah, he he did. So yeah, you, that, knew, you knew it was possible, and that's what yeah, made it. Exactly. That's what made it so um, terrible. I'm surprised you didn't mention uh, Bounty Gate, the Bounty Gate game. I thought about the Bounty Gate game, but that, like, I mean, I, rem- I mean, we were we were both in our misery because you you, you know the Jets lost in the afternoon and, yeah. and then the, and then the Vikings yeah. lost in the evening. Yeah. You had those guys just trying to take Brett Favre's head off. Yeah, the Bounty Gate game was also sad. Um, that was another one. That one was also like kind of the Celtics game where I was kind of like very surprised. I, thought, I just thought that team was great. I'm like far AP and those guys, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think they kind there was it was a close game. It wasn't like it was a blowout, but it, there was a little bit of a malaise to that game, kind of like that Celtics Cavs game where I'm like, yeah. Then they got, get like a they got like a penalty, they just took them out of field goal position. Like yeah, I remember Chili, I remember Chili and and his ops coordinator just like completely just like botching that whole, yeah. that whole situation. But they were in field goal yeah. range. And then they had a penalty, a procedural penalty yeah, I gotta that, that kind of took them out of field goal range. Though they still could have tried to kick it. Instead, Favre went out there on fourth down and threw a pick. Like yeah, threw a pick. Yeah, that was yeah, that was a, that was a rough one. Like so, yeah. I'm surprised that wasn't in there. But I, yeah. I get those losses. Another another another, mention, um, another, uh, another quick random one was uh, with Pitt in the 2010 Big East Championship game in football, losing to Cincinnati. Uh, with Deion Lewis, man, it, at, at that time when the BCS was the way it was, where like 
you know, it really felt like the teams that made it were like the elite teams in college football. Um, that would have been huge as a Pitt fan. Um, I still haven't seen Pitt play in like a major bowl game like that. Like, I mean, we had the year where we went to the Fiesta Bowl with actually yeah, Gerald like young <laughs> remember any of that stuff. So like since then we haven't we haven't we haven't been at that stage. So yeah, that was another tough one. I remember who uh, was the kid that ran it back a touchdown uh, at half from to start the second half. Uh, the like Marty something like uh, oh, Gilliard or something like that. Yeah, Marty Gilliard. I think he he ran yeah, back Marty a touchdown uh, in, to start the second half. You're out. You're out <laughs> up like 17 points. Yeah, yo, that that was so sad about it. We we were blowing them out. I was like, yeah. yo. Pitt is going to the Big East Championship, going to the Fiesta Bowl, or whatever it was. <laughs> and, yeah, that was tough. Then it went how it went, man. Yeah, I always feel like, you know, some, I, in many ways, some people would say, why you, why you guys want to bring up this, like, pain? But I don't know. I feel like it's not as therapeutic to think about. Because uh, <laughs> sports, man, we you when you're a sports fan, like, you get invested, yo. Like, you invest your time, your energy. Oh, yeah. Like, I was legitimately depressed after that game last night. Like, and for I, me... Did not feel well. And it's, if, also, it's me. If you're a real fan, you shouldn't. That you nothing about that game you should feel good about after that game ends. Yeah, yeah. That that again. That and that Celtic one, man. You again, just so sick. I've never been more sick after after a loss than I was after that game. I, I, I was annoyed. I was annoyed because I'm just like I can't believe we're just gonna waste our time with another LeBron getting swept. Uh, yeah, and I, it was so foolish for me too because like, I knew like there was no chance we were being the Warriors. Yeah, well, y'all weren't being the Warriors, but at least it would have been different. Like I was, yeah. like, I'm not trying to see LeBron get swept, dog. Like y'all can't make Even a if shot. Beats LeBron in the conference final, like the, the, you know, that's why I was like, oh my gosh, like there's no way, like there's no way we choked this game away. But um, but yeah, it's also like it's as a fan, you know, for if you're a fan of bad teams, like a lot of us are. Uh, uh, a lot of our teams are. It it also reminds you when your teams were once good, you know. So that, that, you throw that in there as well. <laughs> um, staying with college basketball, there was a pretty big hiring this week. We got uh, Hubert Davis being hired as the head coach of North Carolina. This was not too surprising. We knew Carolina wanted to work quick. We knew that they wanted to hire someone within the, quote, Carolina family because that's apparently kind of been the only people they've hired as the head coach for the last 60 years. So um, Hubert and uh, Wes Miller of uh, UNC Greensboro, you know, who was a former Carolina guy, they were they emerged immediately as the top two candidates. There seemed to be some division inside the Carolina family. Apparently, a lot of former Carolina alums and people really were pushing hard for Wes Miller. But at the end of the day, Hubert Davis does get the job. He's the first African-American head coach to lead the Tar Heels. Um, I have a lot to say about that aspect of it, but I don't want to lead with that because there's some stuff he said during his introductory press conference that was really bizarre. But what I will say is I'm really happy for him individually. I think that for, like, so many of these guys, and, like, look, I'm not saying that it's it's fair, but a lot of these guys, in terms of uh, especially a lot of former black players, you know, they want to get into coaching, and a lot of times they're told, "Well, you got to start from the ground up." And for them, they sometimes feel that's unfair because they've played the game a long time; they're established names. They don't feel like they should have to start at a lowly assistant coach or start, you know, coaching low-level Division One basketball to start their coaching career. 
And, and while you may say, well, you got to pay your dues, that's not fair to think you should jump the line. Again, we've seen a Steve Kerr, a Steve Nash, some of these white counterparts get jobs, the, the best jobs, literally, in basketball, having never coached before, doing the same kind of job that Hubert Davis did when he was on TV, going straight to then coaching the NBA champions or, or this top program in college basketball. So I, I want to give Huber a lot of love here because, you know, he clearly, at a certain point in his life, made it clear he wanted to get into coaching. And he could have very easily taken that TV job he was doing, which was a very comfortable, cushy job. He was doing a great job, by the way, on TV. I think I still think they kind of miss him. They finally, they I feel like they finally found his replacement, Lafonso Ellis, who's excellent. Um, but like I think for a long time they were missing that third cog next to uh, next to Jay and, and Seth Greenberg, and and Hubert lost that job. And took an assistant job at Carolina. And you could say, okay, well, it's an assistant job, but it's Carolina. But you got to remember, like, you know, Roy Williams has an established coaching staff. Plenty of guys who I'm sure would love to be the heir apparent and have been, like, fighting and, claw- and scratching and clawing their way to hopefully then get maybe get a head coaching job, if not Carolina or elsewhere, to make it back to Carolina. He took that job and through his hard work, through his dedication and through not a lot of press and not a lot of publicity, not on TV, worked his way up the staff to be in the position where when it came time for a replacement for Roy Williams, Roy Williams said he thought it should be Hubert Davis. I think that that shows a level of humility. This is a guy who's an NBA player. He's played in the NBA finals. Like this guy, like, like you know, of course he was a, a great player in college, um, a TV star. Like, like that, you don't see that guy sometimes, a lot of times have the humility to do what he did. I'm not saying that, he, and it's not necessarily fair that he even had to do that because we see, again, how it doesn't necessarily work that way for other people. But the fact that he did it and did it without complaint, did it without mumbling, moaning, and groaning, I've seen him on the recruiting trail. I've seen him sitting next to Roy, you know, barking out orders and, and clearly in, invested in these games. This is not a guy who's just collecting a paycheck because you don't go to <laughs> live in Chapel Hill and collect a paycheck. Like, you're doing it because you, you, you love this. And to see that guy get this due, I just thought that that was a great thing to see. So I was very happy for Huber Davis. Yeah. Yeah, me as well. You know, I was also very, very, very uh, excited to see this. Um, Because like you said, I mean, being someone that uh, grew up, um, you know, loving college basketball. um, And, you know, when Memphis was at at its best, at its peak when John Calipari was the coach, you know, I mean, college game day going to Memphis, you know, like, and Hubert Davis is one of the faces of of the ESPN's college basketball coverage at the time. Um, I was upset when he left. I was, I was sad when he left to go to North Carolina because I knew, oh, it'd be an assistant. Like, you're not going to ever see Hubert Davis do anything. So it's like, yeah. wow. And then, I mean, for me at that age, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't get it. You know, I'm sure yeah. a lot of people didn't get it. Yeah, like, I, but, a lot of people did not um, get it. I didn't get it. Yeah, exactly. I was like, wow. I mean, you want to. You want to pass up, like, you know, the ability to be, like, you know, <laughs> on TV and, like, you know, again, you're one of the top guys. Um, and, and look, I think in hindsight, if you look back, I mean, you know, I think ESPN is certainly, um, they probably they probably cut their college basketball coverage a little bit since then. So he probably made the right decision. Maybe he saw the, the writing on the wall, the way things were moving and was like, ah, let me get out of here now. 
But regardless, uh, he made the right career decision, <laughs> particularly because he's able to do this job. But, um, but yeah, I've always liked Hubert Davis. Uh, great, great personality. Uh, very smart basketball mind. Um, and then, again, you know, people will talk about, I've heard people blast to hire, people like to hire. To me, though, again, the one thing that I haven't heard people say, and, and we mentioned it last week, was just as long as the infrastructure is set, you know, promoting from within is never something that is uh, that is that nerve wracking to me anymore. It was it was at a time, but and we see Texas Tech just promoted one of Chris Beard's assistants, Mark Adams, to take over uh, for him. But to me, like if like Roy Williams, North Carolina already has some talent on the roster. Um, it's North Carolina, so they're going to be able to get guys. Hubert Davis knows the he knows the culture of North Carolina basketball just as well as anybody, um, particularly the Roy Williams, Dean Smith culture, because he's been Roy Williams' lead assistant, you know, <laughs> for all this time. And then he's also played under Dean Smith. But, you know, it, there may be aspects to Hubert Davis' North Carolina. And this is what I would hope, is that there are aspects of Hubert Davis' North Carolina that are actually different than Roy Williams. Um, because... Let's face it, North Carolina, we've talked about it, has struggled a little bit um, in the last three years, let's say. Um, you know, they won that national title against Gonzaga. They lost the one to uh, Villanova that they very easily could have won. But since that national title, um, it's clear that there has been a little bit of a dip from, from uh, North Carolina, for North Carolina's uh, basketball program. Talent, still, there's still talent, but it's not. Not the same as it was, obviously, when they had Ty Lawson, you know, Wayne Ellington and Tyler Hansborough. Um, and then not beyond the talent level, obviously, they're not they aren't they aren't winning on the same level. That year that they had last season with Cole Anthony was uh, the worst since, you know, Roy Williams got to North Carolina. Um, yeah. And then they followed up with a an eight seed year, which is fine. But for North Carolina. Uh, I mean, they, they were just glad they got to the tournament, but for, for Carolina, that, that was disappointing. Um, I also think that they were content with it because Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas, well, not Kansas, but Duke and Kentucky particularly all stunk. So yeah. both stunk. So and Kansas was a down year. So <laughs> if you're if you're if you're if you're a North Carolina fan, you're like, oh, we all everybody stunk this year, COVID, but whatever. But but if they're going to look themselves in the mirror, this isn't a program that's 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 running at its best right now. So I think there there are changes that need to be made. You can't just stick with the status quo, or else I don't know if Hubert Davis is going to be there very long. You know, so I, I hope that there are some changes because you see when Ryan Day went to Ohio State or got the Ohio State head coaching job, it didn't they, they don't run the program like Urban Meyer did. Mm-hmm. It, it's different. The offense is different. Um, you know, it's, it's certainly I think a little bit more I don't want to say quarterback friendly, but uh, it should help prepare quarterbacks for the NFL better than Urban Myers often did. So with Dwayne Haskins, I mean, I'm going to say prepared him for the NFL, but was able to get him, turn him into a first-round pick. Same way uh, Justin Fields is about to be a first-round pick. You see what Lincoln Riley's been able to do at Oklahoma, taking what was already a great program from Bob Stoops and turning it into, they're not that much better than they were under Bob Stoops, but, you know, they're certainly much more appealing, I would say, to uh, high school players. Um and in the new landscape of college football, like they're 
pretty much the same as they were before. But or you probably have even an even better chance to win it. But because of the playoffs and stuff like that, you know, uh, yeah, actually, it is actually a little tough for them as well. But yeah, ultimately, I think that this is going to be a lot of it's going to come down to how does Hubert Davis run this team? Um, what offenses do they run? You know, who does he take from uh, stylistically? Uh, is he taking a lot of Roy Williams stuff? Is he taking some, some stuff he learned in the NBA, whether it be under Riley or some of his other coaches? Uh, is he going to take stuff from Dean Smith? Like that, that is all going to be interesting. But um, I think you know his coaching staff is going to be important as well. So, but yeah, this is this is exciting. Um, you know, and also shout out Mike Woodson, who yeah uh, shout out got the Indiana job, and he's I mean he brought back he got Trace Jackson Davis to come back. Yep. Got Christian Lander, um, who was a five-star freshman last season, to come back. Um, so, I mean, you know, he's already – he's got players now. Yeah, um, looking That up. was step one. Uh, we know he can coach, so. And they just, they, they also brought in Dane Fife, uh, who a lot of people wanted to be – a lot of Indiana fans who obviously played in Indiana wanted him to be the guy uh, going to get the head coaching job. Uh, they got him to leave Michigan State as an assistant to be an assistant under Woodson. So, uh, yeah, I was surprised that I was surprised at how many people were just so down on Woodson as the head coach at IU. I mean, I got a little bit of it, but I just felt like they underestimated how one just how just solid a coach he is, and two, I, I think they really estimated, estimated underestimated to me like that Mata coming to the to the athletic department. Like to me. Like, Thad Mata is a guy who, and if he was like, oh, but he's not on the staff, it's like, uh, that doesn't matter to me. Um, like, you know, it's like when people were arguing about, you know, at the U, when, you know, Ed Reed was, you know, whatever title he has at the U. And like, oh, but he's not a coach. It's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, that guy is involved, and he's part of the program. When kids visit, they're going to see him there. Like, whatever he's doing, is is it's, it's a positive step, you know? And like, uh, so so when I saw Thad Mata was joining the staff, Thad Mata is like, I mean, the ties he has to the state are just endless. Like, yep. He, Where's like, Golden from? Indiana, Indianapolis, exactly. Yeah. Mike Conley, Indianapolis. Where's Mike Conley from? Indiana. They they coached. Uh, excuse me. Um, he uh, he recruited. He he coached at Butler, where he built them into. He he kind of started what Butler is now. Like. This guy is Indiana through and through. And you're putting him anywhere near the basketball program, oh, things are going to work out. It's going to be fine. And I thought people underestimated that. I thought a lot of people were making a lot of uh, bogus excuses for why Mike Wilson wasn't going to work. And I'm not saying it's guaranteed to work, but it's a good start. I think a lot of people, because to me, a lot of times the NBA guys, it's can you recruit and retain talent? Because so many of the, those coaches are not used to that, that part of the job that they don't care for it, and they end up losing a lot of people. Also, what happens is you'll have, like, this, like, you know, this exodus that where a bunch of guys leave, and then maybe you have some lean years. That's what NBA coaches without, you know, any kind of talent. They can't survive those years because they're not recruiting on the level maybe they're supposed to. So Woodson, I think, is going to get over that. But with Hubert, um, I, I'm curious to see, you know, will Carolina be a lot more of a modern team? I think that when you've watched them play for the last, you know, three years, they definitely have felt like a little bit of a dinosaur. Um, they like playing two bigs. The bigs usually really can't shoot that much. Um, they really kind of lack spacing as a whole, as a team, 
um, for the last two or three years. And that's hurt Cole Anthony. It's hurt a lot of guys that have played on that team in the last several years. And I'm wondering, Hubert Davis, of course, being a great shooter himself, and, and uh, you know, we know he has NBA ties. Will, will he take some of those NBA ties and influx it into what Carolina is doing? I'd be curious to see that. Uh, I did mention that he had his press conference today. Uh, I don't think that this was the greatest start in terms of him addressing what it means to be the first African-American coach. I believe in the comments, he said something along the lines of, I'm proud to be African-American, but I'm also proud of my uh, white wife or something like that. Or I'm proud my wife is white. Uh, that's not <laughs> not the greatest start. Um, I don't know why he would say something like that. And I don't know if it really matters. <laughs> um, that, but that's definitely not the kind of thing we want to hear uh, because there's so much... First of all, it was unsolicited. Nobody asked him about like his family life or whatever. Um, nobody asked him about his wife or anything like that. And it just seems very awkward that when we're staring at, you know, we're talking about these issues with race and, and we're, we're staring at down the barrel. something that's very, you know, historic. And then you kind of, you know, whisk it away with, well, my wife is white. Like, I, I, I did not understand that. Um, did not understand the context of that. And this is going to be a tricky situation just because it's, it's, it's touchy to begin with. I'm just hoping that as he continues, he does a little bit of a better job uh, addressing these challenges because that is very problematic for a lot of reasons. That That's how he's responding to being the first black coach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, very, it's, it's very yeah, that's weird. Choice where you've got to, like, you know, I mean, we'll see if somebody ever asks him about that again. But, you know, I was a brain fart. <laughs> Certainly a brain fart from, from Hubert Davis there. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I I don't have much to say about that. <laughs> I mean, it just, I just felt like it had to be said. I'm again, I'm very yeah. happy for Hubert, and I think that I think he's the right man for the job. I think of all people they could have hired, I think that this was I, I would have hired him. But uh, that's weird. <laughs> that was a weird thing to say, and um, we don't need. And at this time, we don't need an all lives matter when we're asking about <laughs> you being a first black coach. That's not what we need at this time. And that's what that answer felt like. God bless his family. God bless his wife. God bless his kids. I'm hopeful that everything will go great there. But that was uh, that was not a good answer. And that just that just I think needed to be be addressed because unfortunately, this kind of became a distraction from I think a lot of the story around him being hired was that really bizarre um, answer he gave. I do want to uh, talk football real quick. So the Jets made a blockbuster trade this week, locking in on the fact that they will be hiring, excuse me, uh, drafting a quarterback in the draft because they traded Sam Darnold to the, uh, excuse me, the uh, the Carolina Panthers, and and explaining the deal, which included um, them receiving a twenty twenty uh, a second round pick in twenty twenty two next year, fourth round picks and sixth round picks. Uh, as well. I think those six-round picks this year and the four-round picks also this year. Explaining the rationale behind the pick, uh, should be the trade, Joe Douglas, the general manager, said that there were a couple of factors. Obviously, them being in a position at number two to potentially draft a quarterback was one of them. But the other thing he also mentioned was that he felt like this was the right time for a financial reset. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Remember, Darnold 
had an option coming up next year that they would have had to have picked up and it would have cost him $18 million. He also um, is making $9 million this year. And then you add that if he plays up to snuff, you would expect that he would be uh, a guy where you know, you're paying top dollar because he's a quarterback. So we know what those guys are worth. So re-signing him would have taken a lot of money from your cap space. The Jets, it seemed to be, at least in this explanation from Joe Douglas, suggesting that it wasn't necessarily only just their uh, excitement for drafting a quarterback, but it was also staring down the barrel of the money they may have to fork over for Darnold, even if he does play well. Kendall, what did you make of the deal on, on both ends? I feel like Sam is in a great position to play really good ball in Carolina if he is what a lot of people say he is, a guy that was not given a lot of support, a guy that was not coached well, and a guy that, that just could do more if he was given more talent around him. Carolina may be a lot of things, but they, they are not an offense uh, uh, you know, devoid of talent. McCaffrey is a stud. DJ Moore is a stud. Robbie Anderson and Darnold had good chemistry in New York, and Robbie Anderson has become an even better player in Carolina. Now you got this top pick in the top 10 that Carolina also has. That may be a chance for you to also add an upscale player. They are in a position to really make this thing interesting over in Carolina. So what do you make of how this deal worked out? Um, yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, I, I'll start with the Jets aspect. You know, I mean, what Joe Douglas said, I mean, it's a real thing. You look at the best teams in the league last year, um, most of them had quarterbacks on a rookie contract. You know, especially the teams that, uh, you know, were, I wouldn't say a little more surprising, but teams that maybe exceeded expectations. Uh, a team like Buffalo, a team like Baltimore, um, you know, a team like, obviously, Kansas City, Mahomes had just signed his contract, um, and I mean he's Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> so you know you can you can pay him a certain amount of money, you'll still you'll still feel good. But uh, Arizona obviously had a really good year with, with Kyler Murray, didn't make the playoffs. But then you had like obviously the Bucks with Tom Brady, who doesn't get paid uh, top dollar anymore. He doesn't need the money, <laughs> um, so it, it's it's it makes yourself it makes and he, because of that they were they were able to assemble. Um, the deep roster of, of, of talent that they had on both on both sides of the field. So if you're the Jets, um, I certainly get wanting to invest in a rookie quarterback when this draft uh, is particularly strong, I think, for rookie quarterbacks. I think there are four, four I don't say franchise quarterbacks, because, I mean, as we know, that's typically is not how this thing plays out. Um, you know, this year of all years, this offseason of all, of all offseason should – should tell us that, you know, drafting quarterbacks in the top five, you know, you hope that you just got to hope that they work out. But, yeah. you know, a lot of guys, you know, just now Darnold, um, you know, now Winston's and Winston and Mariota aren't where they are. Goff and Wentz aren't where they were drafted. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you never <laughs> you never really know what's going on. But um, but still, you know, having a, having a this, this is a very strong draft. Um with prospects that are, I think, on the level of guys that are really good, like, um, like a Mahomes or a, a a Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, in terms of those guys as prospects. Um, so, 
yeah, this is this is the draft. You're going to invest in the quarterback. You might as well do it now, especially at the top end. You know, like I think that there are three guys that could be the number one pick in almost any, not any other draft, but most drafts because they could be or, or, or legitimate number one pick kind of quarterback guys. Um, so you know that one of them is going to Jacksonville. <laughs> That's going to be uh, Trevor Lawrence, and all signs point to that. The other one being Zach Wilson. Um, the Jets have to be really confident in Zach Wilson, man, because, yeah, I know you were leaning towards the Penny Sewell option. Mm-hmm. Um, the financial aspect of it does, uh, I think, did certainly play a factor in it. If it was, if it was a one-for-one, one, I think there may have been more consideration into that option. But, you know, I, I was just thinking back to the to the history of, recent history of, you know, first round quarterbacks and I feel like the ones that typically hit don't look like Zach Wills. And I won't say don't don't look or play like Zach Wills. Um and that's not to say that Zach Wilson won't be uh very good. Um or he won't he, he's gonna be out of the league. Um there are similarities to Johnny Manziel but he's way more talented than that. So I'll give him more credit than that, especially as a passer. Way more advanced as a passer than Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel, yeah. I mean, you go back and watch the Texas A&M tape. A lot of it is Mike Evans being really good, which you called at the time. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> a lot of it is Mike Evans being really good. A lot of it is Manziel kind of, you know, I mean, you were talking about, like, one read. <laughs> I mean, he was one read and then run. Like, there was no, there was there was not a whole lot of advanced stuff in what Manziel was doing. But, um, but I just think about, like, the guys that play that backyard style of football that people like to talk about with Zach Wilson, you know, again, I mean, you're talking about Patrick Mahomes. If, if Zach Wilson is Patrick Mahomes, then fine. He's going to be great. You know, but I, I don't like comparing people to Michael Jordan. I don't like comparing people to LeBron. I don't, <laughs> I don't like comparing people to Tom Brady. Uh, so I'm not going to compare him to, to, to Patrick Mahomes personally because that is just the cream of the crop. Um, and then, uh, you know, other guys that are in that field, I mean, again, I mentioned – um, Manziel, uh, Kylo Murray is another guy that comes to mind. Kylo Murray is an elite level athlete. And that's the part of Zach Wilson that I think does concern me a little bit, uh, is sometimes these guys, they get to the NFL and the size and speed becomes too much for guys. And it happens in the NBA too. Like a guy who doesn't even have to be physically dominant, but a guy who's physically capable of doing things at the college level. In Wilson's case, BYU is not capable of doing that stuff at the NFL level. Um, like we saw with Manziel, like Manziel yeah. was fast in college, much faster than Zach Wilson, and his speed wasn't really scaring anybody, <laughs> you know, when he was in Cleveland. Um, so, like, you know, I have my concerns about Zach Wilson. Not that he's any less of a prospect as Trey Lance or uh, Justin Fields or. Um, even Trevor Lawrence, but the situation that he's going to, I just hope that the Jets are patient. I hope that they surround him with, uh, a lot of talent and, you know, this is not going to be easy, you know, if, and I'm in, we'll talk about it, I guess more, you know, if we get closer to the draft and post draft, but like, you know, Wilson to the Jets is the one. And look, there are people in the media that are, you know, all in on Zach Wilson, all in, 
you know, and I know last week we were naming names. I don't have to name names this week, but, <laughs> you we know. Were, we, were extra, we were extra spicy last week. Yeah, exactly. You know, there are people in the media, though, that are all in on, on Zach Wilson. And, you know, if they're right, then, then, then boy, they will be right. But um, they just got to hope that this guy is really good because, and again, he may live up to it, but. I, again, I think about the guys that succeed. A lot of them play more like, or are built more like, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. So, um, I don't know. You know that that that's why this is a little bit concerning to me. Uh, but then at the same time, like Sam Darnold is a little more built like those guys. So, and we see how that uh, <laughs> we see how that worked out. But yeah, the Sam Darnold to Carolina thing is also exciting. Just because you get him paired with Joe Brady, you mentioned the weapons. Um, you know, I, I thought your idea that that you that you talked about uh, after the trade with Kyle Pitts uh, potentially going there is also interesting. Um, I, I would also look at getting another running back somewhere in this draft to pair with McCaffrey off- offensively, because we saw when McCaffrey went down, that whole offense was was in it. You know, right. like they. That 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 it took away everything that they could do. So, um, I mean, it's gonna be interesting to track him and, and Wentz. Those are gonna be two reclamation projects yeah. that are gonna be super exciting. Like, I mean, Goff going to Detroit is whatever because mm-hmm. nobody has any respect for whatever Detroit's building. But right. there is legitimate respect for what Matt Rule's built in Carolina and with Joe Brady's mm-hmm. offense, as well as Frank Reich um, in Indianapolis. So those yes. are gonna be both exciting. Yeah, I agree. I think that those are definitely going to be projects to look into because I think both guys are similar. I think people feel like these are guys that are great if they were in better situations. And now we're going to see. I mean, there's really no excuse for either guy to not perform um, given the talent that's around them. As you said, like I've I've been team Penny Sewell for the Jets because I felt like the Jets have been, when the last time they were great, people always say the defense. And yes, the defense was a major part of that, but they also they had the best options line in the league. And I, I know what it means to be so great up front and how that helps not just the running game, but the quarterback play. I know the Jets were the number one rushing team in those years, but Mark Sanchez, who we now know was very shaky, looked decent as a young player because he was getting protected well by that Jets offensive line. So to, to have that kind of talent up front with a Sewell and you pair him with Becton, put one of them on the right side, I think that you're just talking about two behemoths that are going to just destroy people, um, uh, not only in the passing game, but also in the running game. I would have leaned that route and seen what Sam could do, but I could tell that the money, I, when, when Joe Douglas really mentioned the money, I really think that that was a big factor in this. I think he thought. Yeah, you don't bring that up. If You don't bring yeah. that up in the conference. Yeah, that's if, not something you hear. And you don't even hear GMs talk about that kind of cap flexibility, especially talking about, drafting a quarterback because you're supposed to talk about your excitement about the class because you want to get the fans excited about whoever you're about to take but to me like you have a, you know i know you didn't work with joe but you have a little bit of a feel for joe because he, he yes comes from that philadelphia tree like and to me joe is like a football guy football guy so i think that he's oh, just yeah. being like totally honest he's like i'm sure he does like zach wilson but i think he's like yo zach wilson's pretty good and i don't have to pay sam Darnold 100 million dollars next year if he plays okay or I don't lose him for nothing. Oh, please. I'll and I get and more draft picks. I think he likes Sam Darnold, you know? And I, I think he does too. Yeah, he said that. I want to really shout out Sam for his commitment. I think he does think Sam Darnold can play. But given where the Jets are, I don't think I think he knows that if they draft Penny Sewell and Darnold plays great next year, 
you know, the Jets ceiling is still all only so high. I mean, yeah. you know, if Sam Darnold plays great and they draft Penny Sewell and they protect him well, ceiling is probably still like eight wins. And yeah. am I paying Sam well, Darnold out of the wazoo for eight wins? I don't, that might not be something he wanted yeah. to do. Worst case scenario, like, again, even if it's 10 wins, let's say you do it with, with uh, Miami did this year and they win 10 right. wins, great defense, and a good quarterback around that defense. Like now you have to pay Sam Darnold, you know, like a lot of money. Yeah, and that, that just that just ruins your chance of continuing to build our roster that still has needs a lot of help. Clearly. That op- like doing this, like you have one good option, which is Wilson's great, and you know, then you have him on the cheap for the next five years, or he he, do- he doesn't work out with Darnold. It's uh, you know, if you if you draft him, and he, if you draft a lineman and you stick with Darnold and he's still not great, then I mean now. You know, we'll see how bad they are, but are they going to be bad enough to get into a to quarterback into, right? Because be a little bit weaker, or right. you know, again, if you're if you're good, maybe you're not you're not going to be good enough to compete for a, a you know even a, a you know a, a, a wild card or not even a wild card, but like a um, a conference championship game type of type of team. But now Darnold may play too good to where now he's overpricing the rest of your team. Um, so yeah, I, I mean. It makes sense. Like it make it makes sense doing this. Um, now it's just up to you. Got to pick the right guy, and some some of it is not about it's not about like the player. It's about the situation. So really, you know, whether it's Wilson Fields, it's going to be one of those two more than likely. It's almost certainly going to be Field uh, Wilson. But if it's Zach Wilson, like a lot of it may not have to be about Zach Wilson as much as it is, you know, Corey Davis and um, some of the other guys they brought in. Like that, that is going to be um, Denzel Mims and whoever they whoever they yeah. pick up, you know, around him in this year's draft. Whether it's you know Travis Etienne, you know, in the second round or a twenty three, like that's going to be um, almost more uh, impactful than you know who you pick or how good that guy is. Because yeah. I mean, look, these I mean, like NFL scouts aren't like we, they get it wrong sometimes, but. Like Sam Darnold can play. Like he's not he's not a scrub, um, but like he he may not be a superstar, but he's not a scrub. Like a lot of it has to do with he had no help. So I mean, if you put Sam Darnold in a great situation, he probably is good enough to maybe not do what Josh Allen did, but to do a fraction of that. So as we saw with Josh Allen, put him good pieces around and give him a real receiver, and all of a sudden he's an MVP candidate. So you know that's gonna be important for 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 Zach Wilson. Yeah, we'll see what happens with Zach Wilson. You know, I, I've been a little higher on Zach than you. I think the guy is uh, immensely talented. I honestly feel like, I know people keep mentioning the uh, Pat Mahomes stuff, but I, I honestly feel like he's being a little bit boosted by Josh Allen. I think this idea that, you know, small school, I know BYU's not a small school per se, but kind of like the small school that you didn't watch because they were playing too late or they weren't on TV and people right. kind of not really believing in, in what Josh Allen brought to the table and now seeing him become, you know, a top-notch quarterback and feel a lot of people eating crow today uh, on their evaluation of Josh Allen. Now, I mean, Wilson it was a better player than Josh Allen was in college. Yeah. But but I think that that is still – I think that, that what happened with that, I think it still has people kind of but like was, saying, it was good let, about me not, that- let me not trip because he played at BYU and did play the greatest competition. Like, if the tape shows this guy has elite arm talent – and that he can make all the kind of crazy throws, then let me believe it. Because I didn't believe it with Josh Allen, and I look like an idiot now. I think that's that's helping him a little bit, too. Not even maybe more so than the stuff with Mahomes. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's like with with Josh Allen, like he was actually helped immensely by the doubters in his draft process because when he got off to a to a shaky start, there was no, there wasn't like all this pressure that he was a flop. Like people right. were kind of look, he's going to. We all knew Josh Allen was going to take. This guy's a project, yeah. You know, we knew he was a project. So people were honest about Josh Allen and his evaluation. Some people had him higher than others, but most people understood he wasn't going to come up, come in and light up the world uh, as, a, as a quarterback, and he didn't. But as he developed, got more comfortable, and got weapons, he turned into a guy that was, again, probably better than all the guys that they had projected uh, above him. But, the, the, I mean, the difference, while, you, again, like you said, Zach Wilson, much better college career, uh, leaps and by leaps and bounds, much better college player than Josh Allen was. But he's going to be, he's going to have the expectation that you've got people in the media saying he's better than Trevor Lawrence, and you got people in the media saying Trevor Lawrence is the football messiah. So if Zach Wilson's supposed to be better yeah. than Trevor Lawrence, then he better be at least good because if he has, if he starts out like Josh Allen did, then you know, I mean, in New York, that, that's not gonna, it's not gonna end well. Not to mention, you know, he's got yeah. injury concerns, shoulder surgeries, you know. Hopefully, you know, again, you protect you can protect him as well. So and look, my, my whole my whole thing with the Jets is it's all about the talent you put around the quarterback. Like at the end of the day, even with someone like Zach Wilson, as talented as he is, you gotta have a team around him. Do the Jets have a team around him? I still don't think they do. I think they're still a full offseason away from putting a real team together. But you do have this draft. There still may be moves, guys to be traded, and things like that. Let's see how these things progress. But I think that's probably my one still big concern is how are you building the rest of this team? Because I don't think that Mims, Crowder, and, and Corey Davis cut it. And I don't know what you're going to do at running back. I'm assuming it's going to be someone from this draft. I don't think that cuts it as real talent and support around a young quarterback. But I think that Wilson has more, he has more physical, like physical talent, arm talent than Sam Darnold does. Like now is he is, can he progress the game? Can he see the game as well as Sam does? You know, that's going to be a wait and see thing. But, um, and I thought Sam Darnold was great, but he, he, this guy has different kind of arm talent. It's kind of, it's rare. to See a guy that can throw the ball like this guy. Um, Let's wrap the show, to, uh, giving us some, some MLB predictions here. Uh, the season got underway. We only had a couple, a handful of games. I don't know what the hell's going on in Texas, but they're letting everybody come to the games. It looks very disturbing to me. Um, I'm not really happy with the, some of the uh, coverage, too. Some people are treating us like a feel-good story. Um, it's not. COVID is still really high well, in a lot of places. I mean, that, we all know that that's uh a lot of that is laced in, you know, political ideologies, which is unfortunate. Yeah, but, but it's uh, it's, it's it's people <laughs> packed in. A lot of people not wearing masks. It's nothing safe about it, and it's tough. And because I want as bad as anybody to have the fans be able to come back to the games. Like I can't wait to be in these games. I talked to my girlfriend the other day about when we're gonna be able to go to see a Met game at some point in the season. Like, but that's not the way. But nonetheless, season is underway. Obviously, when you start the baseball season, everybody's excited. Everybody feels like they got a shot. Um, Kendall, I think we should go just quickly go through each division. So, AL East, are we 
where are we where are we staying with this? Do you think there's any chance that the Rays actually uh, catch, catch the Yankees here, or do you think? Oh uh, no, this is the Yankees division again. Um, to me, I mean, this is just an on paper deal. Um, I, I I feel like did I did I have the Rays winning the AL East last year? I feel like I feel like I I may have. Um, I don't remember. And I, and I feel like you might give Boston a play, which is a little bit crazy. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I remember saying look out for Boston. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah, maybe having a wild card or something. Yeah, um, Boston, yeah, Boston no. is terrible, man. Yeah, this, is gonna be... this doesn't need to be said, yo. They into the dark yeah. ages. Uh, they, I, I, they, they're, they're getting some guys back. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that what's McCall's back. Uh. Eduardo Rodriguez, um, yeah. and he he's uh, you know healthy after what happened last year. But um, obviously, Alex Cora's back. So uh, shout out to the Red Sox. But no, this is this is the Yankees division again. Uh, the most talent. Just it's just about staying healthy with this team. Um, they just got Ru- uh, Ruino Odor. So um, yeah. do we know if there's ever any. Uh, any brawls going on? Any time to scrap, he'll be ready. That'd be yeah, like, got a mean right hand. Yeah, and the Rangers, uh, you know, they, they, they in their goodbye tweet, they they put a picture from clocking. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, yeah, I think this is also the Yankees division. Um, the Rays are a good team, and they'll continue to compete. But the Yankees just have, from from a 162-game standpoint, I just don't see how someone keeps pace with them in this division. So I, I think I think Toronto, watch out for Toronto. They they, they made some moves um, they did. in the season that excite me. Um, Corey, well, yeah, Joe Springer, though, he's already, Joe Springer's already nicked up a little bit. Yeah, you never want to see that. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they finish out of uh, Tampa. Mm, okay, I like that. I like that uh, spicy prediction. I'm gonna stay Tampa still finishes ahead of them, but I I, I like it. I, I, T- Toronto is 100 percent the team I root for the most besides the message. Like since the legacy has come up, which is what I call that trio of uh, Guerrero, Bichetti, who's actually getting some MVP love preseason, and uh, and, and Biggio. But yeah, this is the Yankee division. Um, the Central. This is the White Sox time, man. Uh, the White Sox they're gonna do it. Uh, they got some talent, man. Uh, Moncada, Tim Anderson. I don't know what, and of course, the Braves, the MVP, reigning MVP. I don't know what to make of Tony Russo as a manager, but I don't think it'll matter much. Uh, the White Sox are low-key kind of loaded in their lineup. I think they're going to win the division. I think they'll win this one pretty easily. <laughs> um. Yes, yeah, the Tony Russo factor uh, is certainly interesting. Um, see that's how that way, that's uh, one way to put it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and A Rod kept saying on Sunday Night Baseball, he, he's a lawyer, so you know, <laughs> always take that <laughs> just in case you didn't know, guys. But, um, yeah, no, uh, this is tough. Um, the White Sox, you know, I mean, they have a lot of talent. Um, the Minnesota will, will give them a run. Minnesota will give them a run. I think Minnesota, I just feel like Minnesota's time is you, you get you knock on the door that much and you don't crack through at a certain point, you yeah. you're just due for a down season. You don't have the high talent that uh No. This have. Um and the depth of talent. I mean it'll be Chicago. 
Um, but but Minnesota, I think, will make it closer than maybe some people expect. I like how um, you know he never had lived up to the potential, but I do. And it's only four games, but I do like how Byron Buxton is swinging the bat for Minnesota to start the season. And sometimes guys end up being late bloomers, late, later bloomers than we expect. You know? Yeah, I mean he's a good player, but I mean he's just he's was, he was supposed, supposed to be Ken Griffey. Yeah, <laughs> that that didn't happen, obviously. So that that's the problem. Um, Minnesota, a good team. I think they'll be in a wild card chase. But I think Chicago. This is, I think, I think this is a changing of the guard this season. I think Chicago establishes themselves as uh, the team to be in this division, maybe for the next several years. The AL West. Um, this is a I spicy this, division right here, man. This is a spicy. I agree. This is a spicy division, and it is weird to see the team that is. One of the teams that's kind of been at the top start 0-5, uh, and that's Oakland. So, uh, I don't want to do it, man, but I, I'm going to say, I'm still going to say, I'm going to say it's Houston. Uh-oh. I really don't want to do it. I, 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 I wanted to give the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim that play, and I think losing Springer will hurt. I think this is going to be a low total division. I think that this division, I think it's like a, Team what wins it wins like ninety one games maybe like I don't think this is a hundred win division I don't, I think in the AL that's been the case for the last several years where there been a lot of division, all these divisions you had to win like hundred games I think in most of these divisions it's not going to be like that besides the Yankees division where I think you'll have the Yankees win a hundred and I think the Rays the Rays will be in the nineties and the Blue Jays may flirt with the nineties. Uh, I don't think that the I don't think there's any way the West is is like in that ballpark. Like I think Chicago may be like a a low nineties, mid nineties team. I I don't think that anyone in the West is maybe a nineties winning team. So I think that this might be a team where it's ninety, eighty eight, that might be what wins it, but I think Houston uh, a full season um away from the scandal, I think that they'll uh that they'll 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 win the division again. And they're off to a great start, five and one. Um, I want to go, I want to go with the Angels, but I just, it's the Angels, man. It's like when people say, you know, it's the Clippers. Yeah. Don't be surprised. It's the Clippers. Like, this is the Angels, man. Something's going to happen. You know, I mean, they've, they, 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 they should be competing for a World Series by now. Um, they've got a ton of talent. Rendon, Upton, obviously we saw what Otani did, which was spectacular, yeah. uh, on Sunday. Um, and obviously Mike Trout, but even Jared Walsh, even Jared Walsh is looking good. Jared Walsh is looking good. Um, you know, and on paper, they should be the best team in this division, but you know, we'll see how that, we'll see how that works out. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Houston and just cause I don't trust the angels. It's the angels. I mean, I feel the same way. I, I think that to me, they're the team, uh, Oakland, it feels like they're kind of like Minnesota, I think. I think their time might be up. Um, you know, to me, yeah. it's the Angels as a team. That if someone's going to take out Houston, it's going to be the Angels. But I, I just I, – I am with you. I, I just don't think I can go there with them right now. Yeah, the uh, thing about them is Joe Madden. Like, right. say what you want about Joe Madden, but, you know, and he hasn't done a spectacular job there, but he's still one of the best managers in all of baseball. So, yeah. No, no, no doubt. Um, the NL East, uh, I'm going to say this is the mess division. It's got to be. Um, there's no excuses. To, to, you know, of course, the Mets are a team I root for. 
They have the most talent. Yeah, but, but wait, it's got to be. Why? <laughs> no, no, it's got to be because, I mean, you don't think the Mets have the most talent in the division? You look at their uh, lineup and their rotation? Sit, Noah I, comes back in June? I, I, <laughs> you, it seems like you've been listening to too much uh, Carton, uh, Craig Carton and Evan Roberts. <laughs> Carton and Roberts? I, so you don't. So you really don't think so. You think that this is a. a I think it's a close division, but the Mets nah, don't have the most talent. This is a tomahawk chop division. This is a, this is a really. Division. You still think well, the Braves ain't starting off that great, but you still think that this still the division still goes through Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. The division runs through Atlanta. Not the All Star game, but the division. <laughs> <laughs> All Star games did not run through Atlanta, as we learned this year. Um. So you think? So you have Atlanta winning the division. Yeah, I don't, I don't think what they did last season was a fluke. Um, you know, I think they have the most talent. Um, I agree. The Mets, the, the best pitching staff is, is probably a little stronger. Yeah, but. I mean, we got Carrasco is going to be coming back. Syndergaard's coming back. And then you got Jacob DeGrom. It's just a different species watching him pitch opening day. Um, just throwing 101, 102, 100, every pitch. as There are fastballs, obviously. But uh, the Mets bullpen still looking mighty shaky. And that's probably why I, when we get to pennant wins, we'll have to explain my pick later. But uh, but I still think I, I just think the Mets they, they they to me this has to be the year because they have too much talent. You think, look at that rotation and you look at their lineup. Um, they have power. They have speed. They're not the best fielding team in the world, but their pitching is so good that might help hide a lot of their fielding issues. This is no excuse. I mean, I'm looking at the lineup today. You got Lindor, Conforto, Alonzo, Don Smith, and McNeil. I mean, come on. Like, there's no... I don't want to hear any excuses about the Mets not missing the playoffs this year. They need to win the division and make the playoffs. No excuses. Um, yeah, I mean... This? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, the the for the Braves, like, what's scaring me is, is, is the rotation. You know, if the rotation last year held. If they if they if they were to hold together, they by held that, they held together barely. You know, um, still found a way to win the division, but uh, that's hard to do, and especially in a longer season. We kind of knew that, like in the sh- that shortened season, fluky things could happen. You know, um, yeah. and I think that'll be that it'll be interesting to see it, whether or not that holds up this season. Like we see teams that were really good last year. Though. Yeah, I mean, like you know, like Miami. Yeah, exactly. Miami, we thought they were the worst teams ever, and they Miami. made the playoffs. Hey, San I know it was a weird playoffs last year, but <laughs> San Francisco almost made the playoffs. You know, yeah. Um, they, they, I mean, that that shouldn't have happened, but so we'll see how those teams venture in a more. When, I mean, when you stretch the season out, you have a larger sample size, less uh, less margin for error for those right. teams. So. Yeah, exactly, and just not having Soroka. For so long, because of the Achilles injury, that's I mean, that to me I think is is the you know we'll see when he's able to get back, but uh, to me he's he's the he's the glue of that rotation. I'm rooting for the Marlins. Uh, I want to see what uh I, I, just because I want Kim Ng yeah to 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 win a championship uh in her first year as GM, but. I mean, I can never root for the Marlins because these are teams <laughs> in my division, so I, I hate all these teams. But um, but I get root for Kim Ang, who's a Queens girl, by the way. Uh, so always shout out Queens. Um, NL Central. 
this is also a low a low win total division to me. Um, I I don't want to go crazy over what I saw from the first few games, but I, I am wondering if this is the Reds this year. I'm gonna go with the Reds. I know they, they lost uh, they lost uh, Bauer, you know, who was great, but they still got Sonny Gray. Still got uh, Luis Castillo. We need to uh, free Nick Castell- Castellanos. Yeah, that was may- maybe the most egregious suspension I've ever seen in the history of sports. And I don't think that's even. <laughs> I don't, and I'm not. I don't think. I, I don't think that's like an exaggeration. Like Bill Walton. That was one of the fifteen yo, worst I'm, in the history like, of Utah. Yo, like it, baseball sent a message that it's 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 more in code to throw at a guy who had a home run the night before. Then for someone to score a run on that guy who threw at him and then flex, that that's that's not allowed in baseball. That we can't have. You throwing a guy's ribs, potentially taking them out for multiple days, that we're totally fine with. You flexing on a guy after you score a run in a kind of a collision type of play when the game is a high intensity game, you're early in the season. No, we can't have that suspension. That was just nonsense. I, I was. I never like suspensions that are. That wouldn't be suspensions if the other guy didn't react. Because that's, I mean, let's be honest. Yadier Molina doesn't react, then it's not a suspension, you know? Um, and, like, on the other side, like, I mean, I don't I don't know if I'm suspending the pitcher. Because, you know, Castellanos, like, if he hadn't reacted, you know? And he didn't react, so they weren't going to suspend him. But, like... Why are you taking the leap to then? Yeah, if 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 homeboy charged the mound, the pitcher is getting suspended. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But at that point, it's it's they're 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 fighting, you know. And now yeah. it's an easy suspension for both guys. Um, why that standard wasn't held wasn't wasn't held for the pitcher to me is, uh, and Yadier Molina, who to me was the guy who, <laughs> you know, escalated. Well, he should know better. I mean, this guy yeah. is, a, is a is a legend. Yeah, yeah, he should be beneath fighting. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. This, 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 that shouldn't have happened. Um, you know, yeah. So to me, that was, yeah, that that was an egregious, egregious uh, suspension. Um, and it's just, it's everything. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna <laughs> blast baseball anymore than you did, DJ. But yeah, it, it was egregious. It but, was terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. In terms of who's gonna win this division. Um, I, the Cardinals are going to be tough. Obviously, um, you bring in Nolan Arenado, and that certainly, mm, uh, yeah, you know, that certainly spices things up. Um, the Brewers were a little disappointing to me last year. Uh, I think I might have had them going far. Uh, I, they might be. I, they might be due for for you know for a big year season. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think I may go with the Brewers. Um, the Cardinals are going to be a popular pick. The Reds um, are certainly a team that that's going to excite a lot of people. But um, I think I'll go with uh, the the Yellow's crew. Yeah, I could I could uh, I could see. I think that I think that they're I think that they're the hands on favorites. But I, I, something about the way last year went, I'm wondering if there's something. I'm wondering if there's something deeper. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that they should be the favorites. Uh, last division, NL West, uh, Dodgers. There's no conversation to be had. 
They're, they're, and there is excitement about the Padres. The Padres ain't ready for that kind of smoke with the Dodgers yet. Um, they're <laughs> at least a year, maybe two away. Uh, what do we know about Tatis' injury? I know he got hurt last night. Uh, he's not going to need surgery. So That is great news. Um, yeah. yeah, partial dislocation. I have dislocated my shoulder. That is extremely painful. Very lucky. It appears that it was a, probably a clean dislocation, so no tears of a labor or anything like that. So that's very lucky for him. Um, and, of course, great for baseball because the guy is a stud. Padres are a good team, but they're not to the Dodger level. Dodgers are just just a juggernaut. I mean, you're talking about big-time aces in the rotation, uh, big bats in the lineup. They just have, they don't have many weaknesses. So uh, they're going to win this division easy. You're, I'm sure it pains you to say that, but I'm sure you agree. Uh, <laughs> look, man, I mean – uh, Evan Longoria right now is swinging the bat like oh yeah Evan, Evan Longoria he's gonna be yeah that's 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 uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna make that's gonna that's shake things up in the NOS Evan Longoria yeah look I mean it'll be the Dodgers you know I mean I'm hoping I I mean honestly I, I the Giants we're kind of like the Knicks where it's like we really should have been tanking I mean if you if you follow college baseball at all Al Leiter's son Jack Leiter is just um, outstanding at Vanderbilt. Yeah. He's having a, 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 like an all-time great pitching season. And then Kumar Rocker, uh, who was the presumptive number one pick, who's also in Vanderbilt, uh, starting pitcher. They have the two best pitchers and two best players in college baseball. Uh, this should be this should have been the year where the Giants tanked to get one of those two gentlemen. But uh, we had to win, you know, twenty-eight games or whatever we won. But um. Yeah, it'll be the Dodgers. It probably won't be close, especially with this Tatis injury. Um, the Rockies giving up uh, uh, Arenado kind of takes them out of it. But the uh, All-Star game will go through Colorado. Though. Yeah, 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 there you go. <laughs> <laughs> sure you, had to go full, you had to go full circle there. <laughs> but, yeah, so no, this is this is going to be the easy division for, I think, the, the, probably the easiest time, the easiest path, I think, for any team. To, to winning their division, uh, it's the Dodgers winning the NL West. Uh, who are your two wild card teams in the AL? Uh, the two wild card teams in the AL. I'll go with the. I'll go with the Jays, and. Um, I'll go with the Jays, and I'll go with the. Mm. Um, I'm gonna go with the Rays, and I'm gonna go with the Rays and the Jays. Mm. I thought about that as well. I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay in the AL East. I was still about. To I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a very close uh, race. I think that the Angels will be in the mix. I think that uh, Minnesota will be in the mix for sure. I think that we're probably predicting them to have a worse season than most people. Um, I don't know what to make of Cleveland. I would look out for uh, Kansas City. I think Kansas City might surprise some people. Okay. Uh, that's <laughs> he's just like, uh, all right. I, like you, you, you do that, fam. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stay safely over here. Uh, in the NL East, for I mean, excuse me, the NL wild card. Sorry, I will say the. The Padres will be one team. I think that's fairly easy. The second team, 
I don't I don't believe in the Braves. I think the Braves pitching is just taking too much of a beating. Um, I'll go with the Brewers. The Brew Crew. Um, I, I doubt them to win the division, but I think they'll they'll get it. They'll get spot. I'll go with the Cardinals. Bring in Arenado. Okay. Um, I think that's going to be. And they, I mean, you know, they haven't been. They haven't. They haven't been really good in a while. You know, I feel like. Yeah, not. You know, this is going to be. This is the. This is the first year. The Cardinals are kind of like the Spurs, where it's like it, it's rare they have a long period where they're not yeah. a team. Yeah, it feels weird. Yeah, they're really like that. They're they're not. You know, maybe like the Patriots, but yeah, the Spurs are like a good. Uh, Maybe they win a championship every year, but like you kind of rely on them to be, the especially like the the, the, the modern day Spurs. Yeah, you know. But um, yeah, the post Tim Duncan Spurs, like the post Pools, Cardinals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and, and so I think the I think the Cardinals are gonna make it, and then I'll, I'll go with the Mets. Um, I agree that they, I mean, they have the talent on paper. Uh, Steve Cohen says they better make the playoffs, so. Um, <laughs> we'll see how that works. I don't want to set the big man. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll go with so, this so my World Series picks. I I have. Uh, I have the Yankees beating the the Dodgers in six games. No, no, I have the Dodgers beating the Yankees. I think the Dodgers repeating. I thought about this this morning. Dodgers beat the Yankees in seven. Um, the pitching, the pitching dynamics. I think the Dodgers pitching, like adding Bauer, I think that was just like the, the Infinity Stone. Like to me, they were a tough team to begin with, but now that they got another ace type of guy, I don't think Bauer's gonna pitch the way he did last season for a whole 162 slate or 30 starts. But even if he's All Star level good, you add him to Bueller and Kershaw, I think it's too much. I think even for the Yankees, the Yankees don't have the depth in their rotation, like, like uh. Like the Dodgers do. The Dodgers and the Yankees pass. Uh, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I'll go with uh, I'll go with the White Sox uh, losing to the Braves. But I know it's probably equally yuck for you, but <laughs> I have the Braves winning it. Um, let's say let's say five games. So you're just not not afraid of the Braves pitching problems. Um, am I afraid of the Braves pitching problems a little bit? But as we know, um, those th- those can get those can get fixed in July. Um, That's true. It only takes one. That it only is, takes bringing one guy. That is, that is very true. You know, That's we've seen point. teams bringing that one guy who, who can who carries them. Typically, it's not. It's rare that you, that you have a team that has, like, really no aces that gets an ace and goes on a run. Typically, it's a team that already has aces that gets another ace and then goes on the run. Um, but, you, but you can fix that problem if they're willing to make the – they're willing to, to spend. Um, and I think – and, you know, spend the, the, the trade capital and the assets. But um, I think they have the lineup to win – to, at least to win an NL pennant. They, I think they do need to make more moves to, to become a championship level team, but I think 
that they should. And ultimately, I'm not picking the Dodgers. So uh, <laughs> that's where we're at. I think the Braves are the second best team in the in the in the. I just can't believe the Braves. Like what happened to them happened to them last year. I'm still, I'm happy yeah. it happened because I can't stand the Braves. But like, wow, so Dodgers showed a lot of metal, and I think that that metal, even in the shortened year, I think that's gonna provide a lot of confidence for them this year. And I think that there won't be nearly as much pressure on them than it was even last year. So I think that, like, they were way more talented to me than the Braves and the um, definitely the Rays last year. But I think the 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 pressure of trying to get over the hump, I think, caused those series to get very interesting and very dangerous. That, I don't think will... I mean, they'll. I think they'll use that to in a series against the Yankees when they play against a team that's equally as talented, that championship medal will come through. So that's, that's what I'm predicting when we get that far late in October. But what do you guys think of the, uh, what do you guys think of, of what's going to happen in MLB? Of course, you can catch, um, you can check us out on social media and tweet at us. We can tweet at us on, at New Generation Pod or hit our Facebook page, New Generation Media. Um, or, you know, you know, message us on Instagram, New Generation Podcast. And of course, as this we wrap this show, you can catch all of our podcasts on New Generation Podcast Network, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Um, you can follow us individually on social media. You can find me on on Twitter, uh, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter. Uh, we on Instagram at Action EJ. Kendall can be found on uh, Twitter at New Gen Ken. Um, and make sure you catch our YouTube channel, New Generation Media. I think I didn't post it last week, or maybe I did, or I don't know if I said I talked about it last week, but I, even if I did, I'll repeat it again. Um, our up, our interview with uh, uh, John Todd from Sports Info Solutions on the rookies in this upcoming NFL draft is up. Um, it's a great interview. Uh, uh, Kendall, of course, uh, spent some time at Sports Info Solutions last season. He helped him craft the, uh, the rookie handbook that just uh, came out. And we talked not only about the handbook, but about a lot of the players in this year's class. It's a really awesome conversation. I had a blast. And I'm hoping that you guys be able to check that out. Once again, you can find that on New Generation Media. And uh, that's it, man. But thank you guys so much for checking the podcast out. Once again, we'll be back next week with more sports talk. For sh- uh, and I know, by the way, one more thing. I know we usually, you know, Hero Talk comes before sports talk. Mixed up a little bit because of scheduling conflicts. But, you know, Hero Talk should be coming uh, within maybe 24 hours probably. So uh, just keep keep it keep your eyes and ears Peel for that. We'll be coming with the hero talk soon. Cause I got a lot to say, uh, as these guys know from the text I was sending them. So anyway, should be a good show uh, coming up. So make sure you check that out as well. But that'll be do it for now. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.